Welcome to Detox with D-Rich, where we talk and learn from inspirational members of our community and beyond. Now, from the Little Apple in Manhattan, Kansas, a man that is more perspiration than inspiration, your host, Derek Richards. All right. Welcome back to Detox. Thank you so much, everybody out there in the podcast world. I hope uh, that this will be a, an enjoyable detox to your day, and you'll uh, get a chance to uh, have listen to some good stories and some good conversation. I really do appreciate everybody out there in the interwebs that might enjoy this. I am basically talking to my son, Will, and my mother, Mitzi. So thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Uh, we're just, uh, we're, we'll get there when we have a few more viewers, uh, where we're actually become something worth listening to, but I have a fantastic guest in my studio today. Sarah Siders is here. Yes, I am. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Okay. So I'm excited to have you here for many reasons. One, you're going to make my job very easy. Oh. Uh, because you are very good at the conversation. I've I've noticed practicing since I was like 18 months old. You're really good at, I think you and I are kind of like, we're, we both have cans of gasoline and we're just, we just Mm. keep throwing it on Mm. the fire. The fire's never big enough. And, uh, so feel free to interrupt me and I'll interrupt you and. I don't know what we're going to do today. We're going to chat about something. We we probably will. You know, um, I learned something new about you, like literally in the last 60 seconds, which is that uh, you have a DJ name, D-Rich. D-Rich. Yes. I was, yes. I was just like, oh, this is this is a fun fact. And so I'm going to be calling you that from now on. I feel like that's like your fourth Beastie Boys. Like you're the fourth Beastie Boy and that's your name. Uh, I would love to be a Beastie <laughs> Boy. I, I'm trying so hard to be one. Um, <laughs> you really are. It's it's a strong effort, and I feel like that's worth a lot. I'm I'm thankful. This the the D Rich. I'm. Some people get nicknames that you know they don't like. Yeah. D Rich, I really like. I've always yeah. liked D Rich. Now, Bill, my older brother, has a better one because he's. Be rich. Oh, be rich. He's be rich. Yeah, yeah. And that works way better. It is. It's a whole sentence. Yeah. And um. so, but my mom, I, I don't know if this is just like people that have just a, a name that starts with the letter D, but like I've been called D my entire life. Big D. Um, oh, yeah. You know, uh, my mom called me D um, and then my, my friends kind of picked it up. Did you have a, a nickname growing I up? I mean, how do you nickname Sarah? Uh, no, I do. Sarah. Uh, Sarah. Nobody can. Is that how it. you pronounce it? Is, it? is it pronounced Sarah? Uh, I think in another country, <laughs> but not this one. In California. Yeah. Uh, I people did try to do things with my name, and I would always be very annoyed. Um, my my maiden name was Newman, so that's where my nickname came in. Was it was you know the '90s Seinfeld era when I was in high school. Oh yeah. And so of course I was. So is that old? Hello, Newman. So does that does that get old? Like it's not funny uh, at all. You know, it was funny. Very briefly. And yeah. then everyone thought they're original. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard that before. But, you know, it's, it, I still appreciate my maiden name. And I, so you never had a nickname? Uh, no, I mean, Newman, Nooms, Noomy. Nooms? I like that. That was Nooms. People took, you know, Newman and, and had variations on that. Is there a variation on ciders? No. SS? Sides. 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 Nobody does it. Subsides. 
No one does it. All right. Uh, well, by the I end mean, of today, we're going to come up with a new nickname for you. I feel like it's going to be real dorky. Um, one thing Yo, that, sides. It's super cool to be Sarah Siders because there was a million Sarah Newmans. And when Facebook came out, I friended all of them. I went mm-hmm. on Facebook and I was like, if your name is Sarah Newman, we are now friends because we have the same name. And ha ha ha, isn't that so cute? And then, um, you know, Facebook kind of blew up. It was 2005 when, when I was doing that. Um, and then I became Sarah Siders a few years later. And it turned out like they're all the real estate online for Sarah Siders was available. You know, the Twitter handle, SarahSiders.com. Really? All of that, yeah. I was able. Did to you snap get it? Did you of get it? Of course, I got so it. So you're not like Sarah Siders 1982 no, no. or, or anything like that, or Sarah Siders underscore one underscore class of underscore one means you're number two. <laughs> as soon as you have to be underscore one, you are the second person to get there. Okay, well, there's there's one other famous Derek Richards in the world, and he is a comedian in Las Vegas, and okay. it's so funny because <laughs> like I sometimes you know I Google my myself, and I always find him. And, uh, you know, he's funnier than me, which I hate. I hate. Yeah. Why couldn't there just be another Derek Richards out there that's just like, you know, a Nobel a Prize Bob. winner oh. or, you know, something something other than what I aspire to be, which oh. is funny. Oh, okay. So yeah, you, you like, want to be paid to be funny? That would be my dream, to really? be a stand-up comedian. Really? Yes. Okay, this is good that we're it, talking about it this. It will never happen, but, like, now that I have to change my name to, like, you know, Derek Richards Derek underscore De- one. D'Angelo or something. I, I feel have. Like, <laughs> I feel like D Rich. D Rich would work. It, it could, you know, if you had a radio show where you're doing comedy on the radio. Yeah. Or a podcast where I'm making, it, making myself laugh. Yeah. Or we, we could do that. I don't know. That's a thing we could try. The D Rich thing. Uh, so I had D Rich for a long time. And then when I got to the, the fraternity, mm. I was a frat boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had many, many more nicknames. Smoking D. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> some, other, some other ones that I won't say. And then Latrell stuck. I got called Latrell. For some reason, people thought it was funny that I somehow um, reminded them of Latrell Sprewell. He was a professional basketball player. Yeah, it sounds and familiar. Basically. I think it was so funny because it was so like, I don't rec- remind people of Latrell Sprewell, but they wanted to call me Latrell, which I was totally fine with. Yeah. But it was hard when, you know, on Mother's Day, when all the moms come in and everybody's calling me Latrell, and my mom's like, I don't I don't understand, Derek. Why why do they call you Latrell? I'm like, I don't I don't I know. remind them. That's what that's what of it someone. is. I'm just a really good basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, my brother and then I'd say, Hey Wang, and then Nub and uh yeah, we had a lot of oh my gosh, lot of fun together. That sounds exactly like a fraternity. Yeah, well, it kind of was. Yeah, we we weren't really known for our academics in my, and we're not on campus anymore. So yay! Just just oh that oh your house. No, yeah, our house is gone. Oh. Our chapter's gone. Oh yeah, because you weren't known for your academics. You were known for your nicknames. We thought that the fraternity m- lifestyle was mm-hmm. just like the movies. The reality is when you do that, it doesn't make it sustainable. So uh, we didn't really have much brothership. We had more broship. And that's, Mm -hmm. I like that. Did I just come up with that? That was good. That was the first thing. Write that down. Yeah. You're going to need that in the future. D Rich. -Rich, Sorry, microphone. D Rich is. Broship. He's. uh, That's your next podcast. Anyways, enough about me. So Sarah. (laughs) Okay. I wasn't in a fraternity, so we'll just let's just get that out there. Independent. 
Um, I think they call it a GDI. GDI. Yeah, that yep. would have been me. I did. Gosh think darn about, independent. Gosh darn it. Yeah. I I uh, did think about going through the process, but I actually went to community college for two years because I just could not figure my life out, and so. Um, I'm just going to guess journalism major. That was one of my majors. Okay. I had, that makes sense. I had four. Oh yeah. So what I was changed the first three one? times. What was it? The first one was just psychology, which is what you do when you're 18 and you like want to figure yourself out. So you say you want to help other people uh-huh. and then you go get a psychology degree. It's very generic. Um, and so then I was like, wait, that's going to take me too long. I don't want to be in school for like 12 years. Uh-huh. So I went the psychiatric nursing route briefly. Uh, you know, got my uh, CNA certified nurse aide. Okay. Um, and I was just going the the medical route. And then at some point it occurred to me um, that, you know, I was also one of those people as, as a GDI that I, uh, you know, wasn't so academic. I could do it. I didn't want to. I, did, I was like, this is my last hurrah mm. in college in, as a student. I'm going to work the rest of my life. I don't want to work in college. So I opted out of the microbiology, anatomy, physiology route, and I went into journalism. Cool. I was like, well, but you're talented at writing. You must have known you. Yeah, I knew you I had could a knack write. for it. Yeah, I just I had really, you know, aligned myself with this idea of wanting to be helpful to people in a very like one-on-one kind of way. And I was like, it's going to be either through therapy or nursing. Yeah. And so that was a hybrid of that. But I just, it's funny that. I thought that about myself for so long, and yet here comes anatomy and physiology and totally derails the thing. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to have a, a radio show. That's why I went into journalism. I was like, I'm going to have a radio show. I'm going to be Dr. Laura. I'm going to sit across from people and tell them what's up with themselves. How's that working for you? This is the dream. Is that I, the dream? This, here we are. I'm going to tell you what's up. Okay, cool. Because I, <laughs> I, I got a mole on my arm. I, I want you to, to diagnose Ooh, real quick. Ooh, that was not the kind of doctor I was going to Oh, no. okay. Yeah. Do you remember Dr. Laura Schlesinger? Uh, no. Oh, my gosh. She was so cool. I mean, what you did, know, what did she's she, probably inappropriate now, but. Is it? No, I just listened to Dr. Delilah. That's all I listened to. And Dr. Drew oh, on, on Loveline. With voice. Yes. She's a very calming oh, voice. I love Delilah. My yes. wife hates Delilah. Just so you know. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, if she listens to this, then we're going to edit this part out. Yeah, she won't like this part. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So one thing I wanted to ask you, explain your style to to me. What is your style? What you wear? Fashion. Fashion. Because I get this. Have you ever seen the show Blackish? You remind oh me the mom. You remind me a lot of the mom. Tracy Ellis Ross. Yes. uh, Has a special place in my heart. She's always got the big pants. Yes. Okay. She just, she rocks it. She is, is definitely. Is she your inspiration? Who's your inspiration? You know, I actually have a piece from her collection. Um, Wait, she has a collection? Yeah, she designed clothes and I, I was, it was random even that, you know, she did it, but they were just, they were at JCPenney. She designed a line for JCPenney and, it, you know, I'll cut you off again. Ago. I love the clothes on that show so much. Yes. The dad. Oh my that God. I look up, there's actually a website that you can actually buy the clothes that they wear. Like you can buy the brands. Yeah. But like I started realizing every sweater he wears is like 800 bucks. Yeah. he's He lives it, right? Yeah. He's like, Trey. Trey is. Uh, it, oh, like, Andre? Andre? No, Andre. Yes. Yeah, 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 Andre. Yeah. 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 He is. I mean, he's got like. Yeah. He's got easily two grand on every. And the kids do too. Yes. So anyway, sorry. No, they, they totally do. Um, so I went on Poshmark and tried to find some used ones i still oh, haven't pulled the trigger yeah yet. poshmark oh my gosh yes i i did that after the 
I, I realize there's young years listening, but there was the show um, with Eugene and Dan Levy uh-huh. um, that was named after a creek that's also um, a bathroom name. Yeah, see, if we cuss on this show, then I have to like tell the podcast world that we like word. We oh, we say bad e. words. You have to put an e. Yeah, yeah. like you know, it's extreme because you use you know the you, word that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The so creek, the creek, okay. The creek show and uh, Dan Levy's uh, sweaters. The, uh-huh. the show had such a low budget, but he needed to have these really high end sweaters and outfits because he had come from this very wealthy family and right. now they were poor. So he had to go and eBay all of these sweaters. And so that's his his whole wardrobe was eBayed. <laughs> and I just think that's so amazing. But then if you try to go and get his clothes, you really can't because they were kind of these one of a kinds or resells. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were all like Gucci's and Prada's and things like that. Like right. just the highest end. But so where I did, do you shop? I did go in there. So when you shop? Um, I have shopped all over the place. So, you know, sometimes it's like fast fashion, like H&M. Um, but sometimes it's these boutiques from, you know, around the country or the world. If I see something, especially on, um, Instagram, Instagram Mm -hmm. really knows me pretty well. And so they're like, Hey, is this French boutique in Paris? You want all these things? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do. Um, but you know, it's like $125, um, you know, silk blouse. So I have to do one at a time. Yeah. Well, I, I think guys and girls shop differently because for me, I can buy one piece of, piece of clothing and yeah. wear, wear way more than yes. I think females want to. It's like statement pieces. I yeah, think. I wear statement pieces and I can pay 80 bucks for a pair of jeans because I have two pairs of jeans. You yep. know, like that's, I'm going to wear the, the heck out of them for years. Yes. For years. Um, yeah, so my style anyways, you're, you is You have that, good style. You have good fashion. I appreciate you saying that, yeah. I, I have tried to, um, that's just something I've always cared about. I just really. It's an expression. Yes. I just, I also grew up on the coast uh, in Portland. Um, and so I, I remember coming here um, when I was in junior high and just being like, you know, I knew that, that coastal fashion was ahead. And I was okay. like, I'm going to bring coastal fashion with me to Kansas City. And, and did I'm you? I'm going to help them out. Well, what the problem was is that I was the only one doing it. And so I looked weird. Mm. Um, so I usually will notice, you know, by watching MTV or, you know, reading blogs, watching videos for people who are in New York or LA. Uh-huh. And so my fashion is typically influenced by those two areas. But I, I'm often doing things that other people are like, oh, why are you wearing that or whatever? I think people now just know it's me. But I've been <laughs> I've been called out for all kinds of weird fashion choices. And I'm like, I saw this on MTV. Okay. So it's 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 cool. Trust me, in three years you'll be wearing it. So is it do you self-justify then if it's a bad choice? Like or do you ever go, No, I made a bad choice today? Oh no, I can totally own if I made a bad choice. Because <laughs> I the, I think one of the biggest things Does Josh is, tell you if you had made a bad choice? Josh was also in a fraternity. Oh. And so he his spectrum of like comfort with Josh fashion, is Sarah's husband, by the way. We're not uh, yeah, just throwing no. some guys named Josh yeah, out yeah. there. Yeah, no, it's good to yeah. So just a, <laughs> just a guy named Josh has opinions about my clothes and I don't even know why he cares. Um No, but, you know, he's got button downs and polos and, you know, tees and things like that. And it's taken him a while to to branch out because he, um, you know, really like to keep, you know, kind of hitch. I I can't show, you know, listeners, but, you know, in Hitch, uh, Will Smith was teaching his protege, you know, keep it, keep it right here. Just keep it right. You're a white guy. Just keep it right here. (laughs) Um, And I think that a lot of times people who grow up in the Midwest or, you know, in those kind of environments, they want to keep it right here. Mm. And I want to widen that. And I want to say, hey, if I think I can do it, I probably can. 
that's the rule for like a ton of things. It's definitely the rule for fashion. It's the rule for style because okay. it's just like, people will say you can always pull that off and I couldn't. And I'm like, it's because I think I can. That's that's my motto. I think I can. Yeah. I It reminds me of how I tend to be very anti-prestigious. Maybe I am prestigious, but like I'm easy. I'm like the guy that calls it out. Like for me, I, I feel like I... I judge it quickly in that way of like, nah, that doesn't work. Like that's mm. that's that's all about you. That there's nothing cool about that choice. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's just me. I can be like that too. Um, and I think that what I feel is not so much what they're wearing, but it's this feeling that this person is trying very hard to be cool or liked or accepted. And I. It, that, but we can't judge we motives. We can't judge their no, heart. No, but you know what? As a therapist, um, <laughs> I'm pretty darn good at reading people. Let me just say that. And um, so, you know, my husband will be like, Sarah, you're so judgmental because I'll just make an assessment of something really quick. Or I'll say, oh, this person's doing this or this is why they're doing that. You're so judgmental. And I'm like, well, I'm probably right. Now, sometimes I'm not. And I, am, I, I actually like to be wrong. Um, when I'm making an assessment about something that is not great. The thing that isn't, that's not a, su- a superpower because just diagnosing something is not, anyone can do that. Anyone mm-hmm. can just be a critic, right? Like, Yeah, oh, and we don't want to be judged too quickly. No, we, we want to give people a chance. And, and I guess what I mean you know, is like art. Like I'm, yeah, so I, I, yeah. I, 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 I kind of feel like I have some sort of say in saying that I'm an artist or I know something about art because I went to school for theater, so apparently that makes me somewhat knowledgeable about um, artistic things. Uh, so yeah, that's that's just kind of where I come from. I, I have, so cool. I, but in that world, it's just filled with, um, if I do something weird, mm. then it's good. And I'm, yes. and like, like experimental theater for me was extremely like cringy. And I was wow. like, this, this is why SNL makes some fun of it, because it's not good. And it's just random BS. In my opinion, it might have some social uh, value to, to people, but to me, I just I have a hard time. I have a hard time going to a museum and I see a canvas and it's just blue. And and I, someone tells me like this is someone this is gr- it blue. This is groundbreaking. Like they they painted this canvas blue, and I'm just like I could have done that. And you wait, you I went can't. to school for art, and that's what you say. I do, I do. Like you would think that you would somehow. I've developed some kind of, I don't know. I find beauty and I appreciate good art. Mm-hmm. But to me, I feel like you have to try a little bit harder. Yeah. And there has to be a little bit more structure to it. Anyways. Isn't it in the eye of the beholder, though? Kind of like somebody Can it says, be? You know, okay, well, know. let me just ask you that. Can, is that possible? So so I guess what you're saying is, can is it okay for anybody to just have like a universal thought of what is good? Mm-hmm. Can it, it's something like art. Mm-hmm. Can can anything be art? Mm. Like, so I went to the Nelson, right, yeah. um, in Kansas City. And there's an art piece there. And it's two light bulbs hanging together. That's it. That's the art piece. And someone is telling me this is worth, like, a lot of money. Mm. Is that okay? Can we can we do that and and say that that's okay? I'm sure there's an argument for both sides. Uh, yeah, I I don't I think that it it's it's weird to me because a lot of times there's there's art that I just like can't connect to or it is just badly done in some way. And sure. when I say badly done, it's just like 
there's not skill involved, I guess. That's what I'm getting um, to. So it's like, so there's that, but there's also art where there's a message that's being uh, conveyed and I either don't agree, quote unquote, agree with it or align with it in some way is a better way to say it. I'm not, it doesn't resonate or speak to me. And then there's art that, you know, it, it almost, it could be nonsensical. It, you know, might be two live bulbs next to each other, but there's something really resonant for me, whatever, in whatever way I interact with this piece and it speaks to me in some way. Yeah. And so what I call that good art, I don't know. I think it's like, I'm looking for art that resonates. Well, I just want, I, I just wonder if there's maybe too much, um, too much of the, well, I say it's good, so it has to be good. And I just go, hmm. I think it's okay to say no. Yeah, I think it would be an impossible job to be an art critic because how can you possibly be objective? What is uh, that? What is that? I'm sure even? you come up with ways to to spin it or flip it. But yeah, how about how about you, Sarah? What's what's going on in your life? Um, you know, we know you have many hats that you wear mm-hmm. throughout the week. Mm-hmm. You're a mom. Yeah. You you like Jesus? I like Jesus. Yeah. Yes. You're definitely. part of a, a church. Yes. Tell me about that. Which church are you a part of? Yeah. So um, my husband Josh, who we've referenced earlier, yeah, we're gonna not bring just him some up random again. Josh, the the guy that I'm married to, named Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, Hi, Josh. <laughs> um, he and I lead the well. And that's been something that's kind of probably developed. I think it's been about three years since I officially came on as like pastoral staff. So he's ordained and I am uh, with the... But you're a woman. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Um, If you want to have a revolution, you need all hands on deck. (laughs) You can't leave out 50% of the population. Oh, I just just (laughs) wanted to throw that (laughs) into the water, see if it sank or or sunk. Oh, yeah. That's good. No, but that's... How important is that? That I mean, do you feel like that that is a um, pretty strategic decision to show people like, yeah. hey, yeah, I'm a female mm-hmm. and I can actually speak God's truth, yeah, to people and actually be effective and and be a part of that that life changing message that Jesus gives. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time in a very very uh, patriarchal culture that you know owned women essentially. True, um, and he he had friends who were women. The first. Um, you know, evangelist coming out, you know, the first person to see him after he would uh, kind of a big deal. Yeah. I mean, you just see there's, there's so much respect and so much redemption. Like if you think about the, the uh, garden of Eden, here's Jesus uh, in a garden Mm -hmm. and the first person he sees is a woman. And, you know, the first person that interacted with Satan in the garden of Eden was, you know, uh, you know, was a woman. Mm-hmm. And so here's this redemptive moment to say like, Hey, the curse is broken. Like we don't have to live under that anymore where, where women are being subjugated like that. And so sure. it makes me sad sometimes that, that Christians want to continue living in that. Do you ever get pushback on that though? Are we, are oh, we, yes, or, or we are we definitely, Oh really? Oh, tons. Oh, so we're not past that yet. I wish we were, but in, in the Midwest, um, a lot of our, our churches here are quietly or, or boldly, very much what we call complementarian where only men can lead an entire congregation. Hmm. Only men could say, could preach. Um, big churches in our city, I will say that I'm not going to call anybody out, but I just know big churches in our city, um, you know, really stand by that still. And, you know, there's people who would say, well, that's not how I think, but they still go to those churches because people, there's a lot of reasons why people choose a church and it's not always because, they have visible women leadership or they're doing work to promote equality or things like that. Right. 
So, you know, so for us, it's like, let's make a statement. Um, We are co-leading because we are partners and we're both capable. We're doing different things, but we're both capable. I always find it amazing that, you know, just like I have a wife who gives me a different perspective, that when you're trying to lead people as difficult as leading a church can be, uh, if you just have male voices, you are missing a pretty big demographic that is going to add really good, you know, advice and and things that you don't see and uh, just makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, yeah. I appreciate I mean, that, yeah. I mean, obviously people could walk in here and then go, all right, let's uh, let's have a really big discussion about this. And what yeah. is, what is if God says it is, then it is what it is. And I go, okay, well, let's have that discussion. But I well, agree with you. Yeah. There is really, 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 really good reason why women can also lead men spiritually. Absolutely. And we, you know, and I, I hear, I want to make a caveat. Some of our really good friends throughout, you know, our church leadership history who've been part of the well, have been so respectful, um, have landed in different place and said, you know, we don't, we, we don't believe that that's the, the role or the, the dynamic between men and women and men should be the lead. They've gone on to lead in other churches, um, you know, plant other churches around the country. Okay. And those are still people who we have a, a deep affection for. And we're so grateful. They came to our church. I would preach. They didn't walk out. You know, they were respectful. And something that Josh and I've tried to build is what we call a big tent. It's like you can have a lot of different views within our church. You just need to be respectful and you need to follow mall rules. Like oh, you yeah. smoke inside or yell really, swear really loud so the kids can hear you, you know. But it's like we want to include everybody and all mm-hmm. these different perspectives because at the end of the day, what Josh and I and our leadership team are doing is the environment that's being created and people have to be okay to be in that. But you can have a different view than us about really so many different things. For us, you know, leadership is going to be, hey, can you align with the Apostles' Creed? Mm-hmm. Like you can't say, I don't believe the Apostles' Creed and move up in leadership and influence in our church. But if you do, if you have those core alignments, that's the blood doctrine that people have died for for thousands of years. And mm-hmm. so we honor that and everything else is secondary. And so there's room. Yeah. And I want to make that. Yeah. I, that's good to clarify. You know, when you bring up topics <clears throat> that do cause division in in church um, or in, I guess in anything, if anything is causing division, you have to weigh, okay. What kind of division are we talking about? Um, what sta- what is the what is the hill that we're actually going to die on? Yes, because yes. w- I mean, a lot of Christians have many things that are uh, you know maybe secondary to the Apostles' Creed and the and the the foundation to what we are agreeing to understand. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, <laughs> it, we need more civil discourse, right? We that's do. what that's what I've been thinking about lately, especially with everything going on in our culture right now where i feel like the the leaving civil discourse the art of it mm-hmm. and uh, cuz i am totally comfortable with getting uncomfortable mm. with people that's um, great. It's because I'm insecure. That's why. Uh, but I, I enjoy. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> no, it's, that is, it that is. That doesn't sound like the reason. I fight back. It's probably, it's, here, we'll just have a little, you know, therapy session right now. Um, <laughs> You're married to one, so I you w- get one every day. Yeah, I get I get it for cheap. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think, uh, yeah, no, personally, 
I think I was I was bullied in in elementary school. Hmm. So I, when I became an adult and when I became a man, it was like I was actually given the the uh, the permission to fight back. So yeah. that I think that's where I like to spar with people. Yes, but. I've I've learned quickly, maybe not quickly, but I've learned through the years that sparring back, it's not a it's not helpful if if the goal is to just destroy someone else. Yes. Right. So um, it's definitely not biblical to destroy someone else. It's right. we're 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 called to um, try to urge people on, love people well. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, but I guess yeah, I guess civil discourse is kind of where I'm getting back to. It would be so fun. My I would love to walk into a meeting every day where people disagree, but we mm-hmm. can just chat about it. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. And but not I'm not sure there's the a space for it. Yeah. it. yeah. People feel really threatened when you have a different view and, and, you know, just having led a church for, I guess, July will be nine years since we planted. Um, Congratulations. When, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, it's, We've noticed that when when we're leading in a way, like when we're talking about a, a hot topic and the well is, you know, I think if we're known for anything in the city, we're known for saying things that, you know, we're ta- we, we approach the uncomfortable topics. Um, we talk about human relationships mm. and, um, you know, in a really, you, you know, more intimate way. Uh, we even allow, we, we'll do series, whole series on that. Mm-hmm. And people can text questions in live in the middle of the uh, service and they come up on the screen behind us and we have to answer them like that. Live. That's great. Um, we've done that several Open times. Open dialogue is very important. It is. And Especially we, for done... people coming to a, what church is supposed to mean or, yeah. you know, people don't have a, people have a preconception of like what it means to actually learn about this Christianity faith. Yeah, And it's important that we have open dialogue that usually is the hurt from a lot of people is they, they feel like somewhere yes. in their past comes from they're getting shut down. Shut I think. down. Told but they're wrong. People are also so, and I would say that you know we have a majority culture in our country, which is you know white, white Anglo-Saxon, primarily Protestant, um, and you know we've noticed is when we bring up an issue, especially related to you know racial inequality, as that's kind of been you know coming into the the forefront of people's minds over the last few years. Oh yeah, we've tried to you know approach that with with boldness and grace and uh you know we've had people say this is making me uncomfortable i don't feel safe and it's like well you know it's probably not the kind of unsafe that people of color feel you know most days of Mm. the week um in a lot of different situations where you know they're not the only person in a room that looks like them or you know they're not sure if their job interview is going to go well because they walk in and someone's like oh you know they don't i don't i i've never had a a black person in this job before so can they do it right it's just kind <laughs> of like i know it sounds so crazy but that's are the these really of, the questions where <laughs> these are like literally things that people of color deal with and then when you oh, try to sure. talk about it some people feel offended that we're bringing this up and we've had so many conversations like this over the years and you know i think something that i'm trying to do is i get impatient when it's a justice issue of some kind i want people to have already arrived but I had a journey. I had a journey of not understanding and then coming to understanding. And so, you know, God was patient with me. Um, my friends were patient with me. My friends who were people of color were patient with me in my process. And so I need to be patient with people um, in the same way. And so mm. that's just been a journey that I have have been on personally because 
I I am an inpatient person naturally, you know. Well, right? and it's, it's important for me to slow down. And we, what did we talk? We said you said one out of five people are people of color here in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. One so, out of five. Yeah, yeah, so it's just gonna be a, it's probably gonna be a natural, um, harder way for people to be exposed right. to you know a different lifestyle yep. or different cultures. Yeah, um, you have to be really intentional. You would you would have to be. Yeah. Um, but I, I think going back to something you said earlier is just just that word uncomfortable. Mm, yeah, it seems to it seems to me like that word uncomfortable has equated to um, violence. Wow. Do you, I mean, would you agree or disagree? I mean, I, maybe some people don't feel that way, but I feel like that's something that kind of maybe we're kind of slipping into. So when you say people feel uncomfortable, it's a form of violence against them. They yeah, like it's that? um. It's now becoming more of a, in a like like literally a, assault. I mean, we talk about hate speech, yeah, and we talk about you know things that incite violence, yeah. Um, but I think there's a category for things. Yeah, there there's definitely a situation where if someone's being doxxed on the internet and people are going to their house to hurt them or yeah. to do something to physically to them, I, I can see there's some clear boundaries yes. for for crime. But I, I guess. Um, I, the liber the 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 loose liberties of just saying I'm uncomfortable, so right. someone has you have to deal with that. I go, I think there's a lot of personal responsibility that we're not really yeah. calling out as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. What do you? I, 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 I guess I'm again. I'm throwing that out there. No, I I appreciate that a lot. I I think that um, in order to make progress, you have to be uncomfortable in any area of your life, and as a society, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I I see this um in you know, across the political spectrum or the thought spectrum where, you know, if somebody is further one way or the other, Mm -hmm. they tend to want to shut down and block and censor people who are different than them. And I feel like, you know, they're creating this echo chamber. And part of that I think is, you know, not being confident in your own thinking. If you can't hear an opposing side and talk it through, then you don't really have a lot of faith in your, in your thinking. You need, if you really, or you haven't done the work. Yeah, you haven't done the work, you you haven't solidified it. And so, you know, I think something that happens that the buffer in order to keep people from seeing something that I don't want to hear, people's the the uh the mentality is I'm hurt, therefore I'm right. You know? Yes. And so I win, you know, because yep. I'm I'm offended and you hurt me and you, you know, sh- you're taking away something from me. And it, we sh- that doesn't mean that we should be able to offend anyone. That's not the opposite of that. It's kind of, to me, it seems like rules of engagement, right? So if I'm going to actually sit down with you, it's like yeah. we almost have to write down, like, what rules are we going to play by? Because if the rule is... As soon as yes. I, as soon as you offend me or if I offend you, then you then we have to deal with this. We have to first agree to that. Yes, that's like a therapy session. You know, <laughs> literally, it's like in this room, we're not going to yell, we're not going to raise our voices, we're not going to talk over each other. Can we agree to that? Yeah, yeah. Can we yes. can we agree to these these boundaries? Yes, and that's um, the civil discourse piece, and it's like you know making peace with being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. making peace with doing things wrong, like not having the right understanding about, like we all are learning. So even somebody who's, you know, saying, Hey, you know, you can't say that around me or that's offensive. Um, you know, it's like there's, we all still need to be willing to say, um, I'm growing, 
this isn't necessarily where I'm going to land forever in yeah. this area. You know, I'm learning. So teach me something. Help me understand where you're coming from or how you're interpreting what I'm saying. Mm. And so that's something that I, you know, I try to say that on, on all issues. It's like, I, there's a few things that I know for sure. And those things are probably the apostles creed, um, and everything else. Like I need to just land on something. So that's what I land on and everything else I go, okay, my hands are open. Let's continue to talk about this. Let's continue. But that's the dialogue. why. I, that's why I feel like we have to have this like structured meeting where these yeah. are these are the rules that we're going into because just just that just taking the time with anybody that you know that you want to learn and think like that's just going to take a lot of effort. Yeah, and a lot of time to go. Hey, we're gonna talk about some things, and I like you. I think you like me. I don't want to walk out of this room like we burned a bridge. Right. But I also want to. I also want to hear your thoughts, and I also want to feel like I have room to disagree with your perspective. Yes, yes. And uh, I know that's not happening in a lot in my life. I'm not mm-hmm. taking the time with people to, you know, have the. I, I got to take my kid to baseball practice. You know, like right. Like so. So what am I supposed to sit down and? Yeah. Let's so, be uncomfortable for two hours. <laughs> Can we schedule that? Yeah. So what is the practical goal there? I think. Um, Sorry, I'm talking to myself. The the <laughs> no, the, the practical goal I think is maybe we don't have to have this this perfect meetings with everybody or of especially every person of color we've ever met. Right. Uh, but maybe 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 one or two every year. <laughs> you know, like like yeah. set the bar somewhere where like you're at least trying to engage you're making in a, these a issues. Point. I understand that like my YouTube feed, yeah, I'm gonna see some sides. Yeah of the argument that are heavily skewed that way. Yeah. Yep. I also need to absorb the other side yeah. as well. And uh, so that I can ha- kind of have a, a decent balance. I think getting the, all the perspectives is really important. And, you know, a phrase or, yeah, I, I guess it's a phrase uh, that, that Josh and I try to live by is, you know, promoting the, the third way. So it's not, you know, right, left, liberal, conservative, or wrong, right, black, white, it's always there's this transcendent place in the middle that isn't just being neutral. It's not about not taking a side. It's it's about a firm stance in a place uh, on a position that also you're willing to learn, you know, and change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not. You're saying it's a little bit of this. It's a little bit of this. And I think that's where you see you see Jesus doing that. You know, he's calling out his you know followers. He's also calling out the Pharisees. He's everybody is, you know, he's the equal opportunity offender. Mm-hmm. He's going if you're around him. Oh, he offends he's going everybody. To, yeah, he's going to say something to you. He's going to call you out, and and that's love from him, right? That was love to say, hey, here's a place where you have, you know, an untruth in your life that's causing you harm. It's causing harm to others, and that's kindness for me to tell you that, yeah. right? But we also have to have you know, a relationship with someone. We can't just like do derive by like, oh, well, it's kindness that I'm telling you that this thing is wrong in your life. I'm just going to drop it on your face. <laughs> but that's so page. much easier. Sarah, it's so <laughs> much easier for me to text somebody my yeah. feelings and text somebody mm. my thoughts than to actually pick up the phone. Okay, so here's here's another therapy or psychology <laughs> thing. It, in communication, 
Um, the words you say, the actual like words or text is 7% of total communication. Oh, so you I have bet. nonverbal and paraverbal that's 93%. So when we're texting, we're losing 93% of the message. So any time that there is texting or email going on and there is a break in trust that it exists, you'll notice that you'll impose a tone on that email or text from that person because you're frustrated with them or you think they're frustrated with you. Yeah. And so that's been something that over the years in church leadership, especially, um, or, you know, even just working out at Fort Riley at the hospital or these different roles that I've had, I'm like, okay, I can hear that we don't have trust. And now you're taking this up a notch. I'm going to call you or we're going to have a meeting because we're not going to keep doing this. And in the early days of, of leadership, you know, there would be some exchanges. And I remember talking with Josh and being like, we need to call this person. Or, you know, maybe he would say that. But it was like, we, you you get drawn in, you know, you just want to keep firing back. And it is, it's useless. It especially, destroys. especially the written word. Yeah. And yeah. I will challenge anybody out there who wants to disagree with me and say, hey, Derek, I love telling people hard things through email. And it's really effective. I want to hear that person. I yeah. want you to come in here and explain to me how that works because yeah. I've it's just like a Facebook post. It's just like yeah. it's just like anything. You know, if you you're you're basically taking the time to tell someone, sit in the corner, shut up. Yeah. And I'm gonna talk to you at you. Yeah. Not with you. Right. Not active listening. I am gonna shout at you for three minutes. Text messages are great, though. They're great for telling people so where to go efficient. somewhere. Yes. What we Dang need to it. do. You know, like, I need this. I need it. Details. Those are great text messages. I know. And, you know, even just... But if you want to tell me how you feel about a conversation we had, you better be picking up oh, the phone. Oh, that is so true. <laughs> that that right there is so true. Stop texting people. I think you're good at that. I've I learned the hard way. Yeah. I've learned the hard way. And I don't want to pick up that phone. Let's be no, honest. Like, I don't... No. We're when, millennials. When when we people when the the detention is raised oh, on that text, yeah. I go, I don't want to pick up the phone. I know, but I got to. I know. And we guess what? Guess what? Usually the tone goes away. Yes, it does because now that they're talking to a human, they're not yeah. talking to. Usually, I don't know. Usually, I mean, I'm I'm batting about oh, maybe gosh. seventy thirty thirty percent. Sometimes I still argue on the phone, but um, I'd rather do it. I'd rather do it on the phone. Or yes. heck, remember face to face? Did that ever happen? Does that happen anymore? Um, I've heard that that's a thing. <laughs> I've heard it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's very weird. It's starting again, you know? And it's like, I, I'm realizing, like, I don't know how to act. I'm out of a mask on and I'm hanging out with people and it's just a free for all. Well, thank you for working for the kingdom and yeah, and uh, and trying to help people and love people. I'm sure Sarah and Josh are out there striving pretty dang hard just to love people the right way we are definitely trying i'm sure you know, it's trying to taxing make it, taxing too it is you know well you know here's the pat leadership. on your back you get your, your thank you. today you get the pat on the back thank you that's that's what my back for you like. you too josh you get a pat on the back today. way to go <laughs> okay now you're done now, now, I mean, now go back to work <laughs> you you're in church leadership though right and, i try yeah and you have um i'm kind of the clown ways, you're <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're doing stand up for church. Yeah. Like, hey guys, yeah. warm up the crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, you've been doing that for a while and you have a role that's not unlike mine in that 
you're not an ordained minister, no. right? But you have a pastoral role of some kind. Do you have a title? Um, you know, we don't have, we're not a big enough church. So my church is the village. Um, we meet at the fellow on Sunday mornings and we do a house church. We're a house church model. Um, I'm a leader in the sense of, I would call myself more of a worker mm. um, and a leader uh, in the house church. Um, but I think, and I and I might be corrected by the other leaders in my church, but we don't have an elder staff yet because okay. we're just not we're just not large enough to say that we're elders. We have a leader we have a leader position uh, with men and women on it to like make best decisions for the church. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like like a decade. Five years? Uh, probably five years. Five years. Yeah. Okay. Maturity is finally. Maybe your, your prefrontal in. cortex finally developed <laughs> yeah. ten years late. Yeah, I tried to burn it out in college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I needed to heal up. It's just a little small right now. Oh um, man, impulse control. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. That's what that is. I don't know. Judgment. <laughs> Insecurities. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes, and um, I would also say the, the 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 similarities is how important it is for people. I'm sorry, Josh. You're paid paid minister, but I think it's so important to find people who just have secular uh-huh. jobs yep. who also decide, hey, I also want to, you know, be committed yeah. to some principle, the principles that I'm learning uh, with my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus. I want to do that full time as much as I can mm-hmm. and also own a real estate company and, you know, be a father to my kids and be a husband. Um, I want to pursue people for uh, for Jesus, and I think that's so. I have I I I respect it so much more to hear someone's words who can actually do that, because um, there's always going to be that. If someone's a paid pastor, mm-hmm. you feel like the words that are coming out of their mouth, even if they're genuine, even if they're not, yeah, that they're they're paid to say these things. Yeah, and it's tough because you because I believe that every church should have some paid staff. Yeah, I, I believe it. I think it's very difficult to have non-paid staff to take on all the rules that a church has. Right. But we need to emphasize yeah. this principle that yeah. you can actually be, you can disciple people, you can you can pursue people for Jesus, mm-hmm. and have a full-time job. It is actually possible. And, and I think it's actually been the norm over human history. And it's actually <laughs> right. they, not yeah. normal to pay somebody to do the song and dance for you. Right. I give you the money, you do the ministry, and I'm going to come. But that's and easier take in the show. Yeah, that's yep. easier. You, course, you, yes. you cultivate the garden, the spiritual garden at this uh-huh. church. You do all that stuff. Uh-huh. You, you feed me. Yes. So I don't have to serve other people. Well, and Paul had some words about that. <laughs> right. The Bible has like, a lot of words about he that. He was like, "Hey, guys." You're still over here, you know, drinking the uh, Similac, and you gotta, you gotta progress. We need. It's time for, for food, and mm-hmm. I'd like to feed you, but you can't handle it. Yeah, and you know, it's. I think when we ask, when people will say, "I'm not being fed," and you know, that's that's a phrase people say when they're leaving a church, um, and that makes me sad because you know, Christianity is in fact a process of learning to feed yourself and then learning to help feed the next generations that are coming up behind you. Because if you're asking someone, you're like a baby bird and you're just opening your mouth, put it in, put in the truth, put in the knowledge. Mm. I don't, I can't go get that for myself. It's like, of course you can. There's a Bible app that's free on your phone, translated into, you know, numerous languages and any, um, you know, version that you want and it will read to you while you are driving. So there is literally no reason 
why people can't be doing some of these things for themselves. Now, do they need teachers? Do they need guides? Absolutely. Do they need mentors? Yeah. But they also need to be a mentor, right? Like it's good for us in any, whether it's your workplace or your spiritual life, it's good to give back to the next generation. You know, you have to grow and learn and take things in on your own in order to do that. We could talk about this for hours and we hours. We really could. I think I think that's what churches actually do. They talk about this subject for hours and hours. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. I, was going, I had a thought. Um, you know, it is it is reductive, but I feel like if we just go to church and we just consume, mm-hmm. um, it just makes me think of like, you know, the analogy of just, I'm practicing, I'm practicing, I'm practicing, mm-hmm. but I never actually play the sport. Mm-hmm. I never actually get into the game and see like if these things that I'm learning actually work or actually, um, you know, are effective. Um, yeah. So, yeah. This, this, and I'm talking to myself. I, I hope people out there aren't hearing and saying like, I think that I have this all figured out. Oh, no, I'm no. talking to myself like literally when I'm, I'm hearing a message or I'm convicted on... Yes by anybody in my church, I go, okay, I need to think about this. I need to, con- I need to consider it. Yeah. And I also need to try it out and give some people that wisdom as well and see if that works out. And yes, if it doesn't, it doesn't, if it does, Hey, that's a good thing. It's, it's that, that's the learning process. And, and when you're being a mentor, we are not necessarily saying I have the upper hand on all knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, there needs to be a reciprocal relationship where civil I'm, discourse. I mean, yeah, I'm able to learn from you. I'm going to hear out your side and you know, so yeah, so it, it, so many things are going to come back to, like you said, civil discourse, having boundaries around a conversation, mutual respect, being willing to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, being willing to step into a space. I remember in 2014 when we first, you know, decided to start talking about, we, we preached a Black Lives Matter sermon as a part of a, a bigger Sunday in, with the in Church 20, of God. In 2014? Yeah. Wow. I'm uh, not aware of how long the organi- yeah, the BLM movement's been going. It was really pretty early on. But, okay. Um, the Assemblies of God and Church of God in Christ, they are, um, you know, a little bit more of a charismatic movement and they were doing a Black Lives Matter Sunday. And, it, you know, there was there was a couple recent deaths. Eric Garner was one of them. And mm. I felt that um, I was praying about it. I just had this really strong sense that, that God was conveying to me the church needs to be the front of this um, conversation, leading the way in 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 defining what justice looks like and, and leading and just leading towards justice. Um and that was really on God's heart. And so I actually ended up organizing a, you know, Black Lives Matter protest um, in Triangle Park. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like, you know, 20 degrees outside. And, uh, you know, that we had like 40 people show up. And uh, it, it was it was a very interesting conversation. And I think that was the beginning of learning. For me, I had to say, I'm willing to be uncomfortable and I'm willing to look stupid. And I hate looking stupid. I hate it so, so much. But I was like, you know what? You get used to it. (laughs) Speaking from experience. um, I had some friends who, you know, I grew up with that, you know, were, you know, black or Asian. And, you know, I I just had to go, you know, if I want to be friends with these people and, you know, really have a meaningful role in their life, I have to be willing to ask them a question and then, or say something and they're going to correct me and I'm going to feel so dumb. I'm going to have white shame. I'm going to feel so stupid, but I have to be willing to, to be uncomfortable and, um, you know, even ask them questions. And I remember, you know, calling a friend of ours in Atlanta and, um, saying, Hey, 
What's it like to be black in America? Whoa, we told everybody to do this. We're like, all right, this is our next step for, you know, for church. What's ask your black friend, what's it like to be black in America? You're going to hear something you've never heard before. And we did. We heard some incredible stories that we have been friends with this person for years and we mm-hmm. had never heard because we never asked. And it wasn't so uncomfortable, but it was like my heart hurt, hmm. you know? And then we would ask again and again of different people. And just the stories were were shocking. And now I, I hear the stories because I have, you know, more intentional relationships with people of color. But it was, you know, me being willing to ask a question that I knew the answer would make me uncomfortable. Hmm. And I had had, you know, it was just a, a, a long journey of saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make peace with looking foolish in this area because justice matters. You know, having, you know, we, we see in Revelation, it talks about what heaven is like. And it says every tribe and nation and tongue is worshiping yeah. God and they're all together. Yeah. And so for me, like when I think about our mission as Christians is bringing heaven to earth, mm-hmm. that's that's one angle for me that I think matters. There's a many ways that heaven on earth like shows up mm. um, and it shows up in, you know, economies thriving and, and marriages being strong and, and people being mentally healthy, but also shows up in racial equality and people having opportunities. Oh, like absolutely. I would say that's why I am like still sticking to Christianity now wow. is because the, the the messages that we're all men are all created equal men yes. and women that's yes. what that's the Bible's referring not just Hu- men, human. not white males human <laughs> human beings yes. are all created equal and um it again it's reductive but like that right there is a major theme of what Christ is communicating to everybody because yeah. there's these gigantic uh, wars and constantly uh, these these fractions between people that are dividing people and are keeping people from loving one another just from something that they can't control, like their heritage or where they were right. born. Right. So I, I'm, you know, I think I think Christianity gets pushed into the Trump category or like, yeah. hey, you're 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 a bigot. You you don't know what you're talking about. But the reality is, if a, a true, honest, practicing Christian is grounded in. It doesn't matter what color you are. Right, you, we're we're all equal, and that's kind of a given if you just look at what we're what we're worshiping, what we're trying to study. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, agree. That was fun. We just saved the world right there. That's great. Good. We, just, we did. Uh, we fixed it in a twenty-minute segment of a podcast. Um, <laughs> so, so I do want to. I let's let's just get to let's get to Spark because um, I'm yeah. so thankful that you are running. Uh, the entrepreneurial ecosystem driver Spark uh, here in Manhattan. Yeah, and you jumped in ten months ago. Yeah, and you just spoke to Good Morning. What's it called? Good, Good Morning Mor- Manhattan. Good Morning Manhattan. Yeah, and uh, I'm just really, I'm really thankful that you're on board and Thank you're you. you're doing this. What? So, nutshell, mm-hmm. explain Spark. Well, Spark is a nonprofit <laughs> organization. Yes, I'm going to give you the uh, the mission statement. We're not going to do that. Um, I can rattle it off uh, pretty, pretty What are quickly. you trying to do? So, yeah, we're trying to, on an individual basis, uh, connect entrepreneurs to resources, connect entrepreneurs to themselves, connect them to programs, education, um, events where they can feel like the community around them is supportive. Um, we want to Why connect. do you need this? Why do we need? Yeah, why do, you, why do entrepreneurs need help? Because it's terrifying to work for yourself. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, and, and I know I, the answers to a lot of these questions, you, but I'm just I trying to, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to rocket fire at you. You know, entrepreneurs 
are doing something risky. And I think we in the Midwest think that we are risk averse. We're certainly not. Ag is not a risk averse industry. I mean, it's completely based on weather. So how can you say you're not you're risk averse? No, 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 no. You're not risk averse at all. Uh, you might be risk averse towards other things, but we're starting to see a lot of innovation in ag, um, in animal health, and a lot of industries that you know in the past we kind of thought of them as pretty standard. But I think what I would like to help our community see is that we actually do have you know being in you know kind of rural or rural adjacent as we are here in Manhattan. Um, we support a lot of ag. We're, we're an ag school, mm-hmm. you know, um, and there's just this idea of conservatism and like the status quo. And that's, you know, the kind of farmers and rural people get put into that category. And yet they bravely are raising crops and animals um, in doing this at large scale with so many variables that they can't control and isn't that brave and isn't that risky? Mm. Um, maybe we are all a little bit better suited for this than we think. Mm. Um, because you don't have to be in Boston or Austin or Silicon Valley, you know, to be doing something that is, you know, taking new ground and, and innovating or taking a risk. So we need to be able to create a culture that recognizes um, entrepreneurs for the risk that they're taking and supports them in that. And, it, and supported risk is smart risk, right? Just jumping off a cliff with no parachute is dumb, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a death wish. So when we have a community that says we see entrepreneurs as a bigger part of a strategy to grow our private sector, um, it's because we know that those people are the job creators. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think it's 67% of jobs. I'm I'm throwing out this stat. I'm pretty sure I'm right. But <laughs> if gosh, you say it, it's true. If I'm not right, it's going to be really awkward. Uh, <laughs> but 67% or so, um, it's a high number. It's around two thirds of jobs are, um, you know, from businesses that we're creating here. And it's it's important that, you know, we we invest in that next generation of of businesses that we can grow here on our own. We are very reliant on public sector with university and um, the military installation. And I think it's important that we have those. Those are assets. That's not a liability at all. But it also means that unless we develop our private sector, we don't have a lot of control over our economy. Mm-hmm. We don't. We are at the whim of what's the federal government doing with deployment cycles? Um, do they want to keep Fort Riley as, as big or established as it is? Um, what's going on with enrollment, right? All those different kinds of things. Uh, so we're totally voting for and investing in and leveraging the assets of the military installation and of our learning institutions that we have here. But we're saying there's more to it than that, that there, there can be all this private sector growth because of those things. And, you know, and I think entrepreneurship, you can you can be working on a lot of different areas yes. of helping for, yes. for people. Yes. So um, I know it can be kind of, I guess, how do you nail down what what Manhattan needs right now? How do you mm-hmm. how do you then focus just directly on what I, you could do everything? Yeah, but obviously that stretches you too thin. We don't have the resources to do everything, right? And or fix all the problems. So right. what what does success look for? I think Spark, you know, in the next year or so, what would you like to see done? Yeah, we're actually doing um, a series of you know kind of strategic planning right now, and we'll be doing something next week. Um, Ooh, a, an event, a couple things. There's a statewide you know thing that we're doing with some of our the entrepreneurship communities around, around Kansas. Um, so that'll be in early June. And then I'm meeting with some of my, uh, core, core stakeholders here, 
um, end of May to plan out, say, okay, what are lessons learned? What's the progress we've made? And what does strategy and, and goals look like for year two? Um, what I've been feeling for the last three months after just making some connections is we're ta- I'm talking a lot about innovation in animal health, in ag, um, in bioscience, biosecurity. I think that's a big piece of where we're going to be going next is oh. focusing on innovation that is industry specific. What kind of innovation can we support here locally? We're not going to take on all industries, but we are uniquely positioned with K-State, with NBAF, um, with some of our regional partnerships. We, we were just um, you know spending time with Plug and Play and Greater Topeka Partnership yesterday. Um, and so, you know, there's some incredible opportunities to work together with these assets and they have things we don't and we have things that they don't. And so that means that we're better together. That's cool. Yeah. So, so I do think industry specific innovation is where I see Spark going. We're, we're building the rails, right? 92% of businesses are small businesses, 500 employees or less. And so we are, we're saying we need this basic programming so entrepreneurs can be supported, get, get core education to be a small business. And then building on top of that, you know, we start to have, you know, bigger funds for, um, seed capital or we kind of rouse our, uh, our angel investing group that Mm -hmm. used to be more active here locally. And we, we make some opportunities for innovation, which has different needs, but you do have to have an entrepreneurship supporting culture to get to innovation. You can't just say, we're going to be innovative. You have to create a culture that supports all ideas and all supported risk. And then you can build innovation on top of that. So, so that's an important piece that we've been establishing over the last year. Yeah, I mean, one thing that you've been doing that I find uh, fascinating is and encouraging is that there is a lot of talent in Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah, um, it just needs a spotlight put on it, yeah. and it also needs to be maybe herded a little bit and fo- and and put together with other people who are innovative and talented. And there just really isn't any other mechanism out there or or system to like go out into Manhattan and like pluck these really smart people yeah. that are working here that are doing cool things. Yeah. And for us to have another, you know, GTM or Civic Plus yep. or, you know, all these home runs that we have in our uh, our community, we need to be able to, you know, encourage these people that Manhattan is a great place to start that business. Yes. Manhattan yes. is a great place to um, be the hub for your innovation and your your process of growing and becoming whatever it is you want. Yes. The also thing since I've been involved since I'm on the board of Spark, so yeah. I'm I'm a little I'm bought in. You um, are. But the other the other thing that I would like to highlight is, you know, if you're like me who um, did not enjoy school and did, was not scholastically like uh, interested, um, I was business interested and I wanted to create a job for myself in the real world but i didn't there there is no real place outside of that that you know you feel like you can just go directly to i hope that spark becomes that i hope that if you're if you know someone who is innovative or wants to heck start a a cupcake business whatever it is there are actually free and Supportive people in this community who would love to meet with you yes. and help you with your dream. That's right. That's and right. And solidifying these things. And also maybe solidifying that it's maybe a hobby and it's not a business. Right. And, exactly. and you can do those things too. Yes. Um, so Is there a market for it is, is one of the most important questions, right? Like right. who are you trying to sell to? Are there enough people to to buy from you? What's what's your niche? 
that's one of the most important things, like you said, taking something from a hobby to a business is is understanding market. Yeah. So that that's and one having of the first someone steps. and yeah, yeah and so call Sarah, uh, call yeah, Spark, call me. and she will love to chat with you and understand what you're trying to create. And she'll connect you, and that's, that's that is exactly right, and get you the right connection so we can speed up the process a lot faster. Sarah, thanks yeah. for thanks for coming. Yes, it was great to be here. We got to talk about everything. Yeah, no and we, we fixed unturned. we fixed the world. We really did. That's I wish cool. they could be here to hear it because <laughs> they really need yeah. all these solutions we just created. It's isn't it fun being smart. <laughs> You know, I really enjoy it, but I, I'm still trying to convince everyone else. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll see you soon. We'll you have will. you in. That sounds great. All right. Bye. Bye.